This Week in Retronauts, you're possibly being recorded live for posterity. If you're not being recorded live for posterity, congratulations. You're the only ones who will ever witness this episode of Retronauts. Retronauts Live Episode 4, I guess is what we're going to call it. Unless it doesn't record. In which oh. case, it's, it's the missing episode. Or it can be lost forever like Leisure Suit Larry Yeah, 4. exactly, exactly. Yeah. It passes down his oral history. <laughs> so hi, everyone. Thanks for coming to uh, the fourth Live Retronauts panel. Um, last time I was before all of you, we were before all of you, we were talking about how we were shutting down the podcast, and now we're back in front of you, and the podcast actually isn't shut down, and we're, like, doing new stuff, and, yeah, so I've got egg in my face, but I don't think people mind, do they? Okay, just checking. Someone said yes. <laughs> yeah. You may leave. I heard a couple of yeses. Um, I'm sorry for those of you who take offense to my dishonesty. Your continued existence. So, uh, What? What? No. <laughs> so uh, this week, this, I don't know, half year, this, this, uh, day. this episode, yes, this, this in panel, we're talking about Retronauts versus 16 bits, which uh, sounded like a really clever placeholder when I wrote it down a few months ago. And then when it came time to put the panel together, I realized, what does that actually mean? <laughs> so uh, these guys have some ideas about what it means. But first, why don't we introduce these guys? Hi, I'm Jeremy Parrish, as usual. You, you. Hello, I'm Chris Kohler, also as usual. Thank you, people who catcalled. Uh, My room I'm number Prince is all the uh, usual as of late, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I'm Kirk Hada, not at all usual. <laughs> I definitely got the best scream. You did. Yeah. I'm kind of jealous. Uh, so, 16 bits. What is 16 bits? Guys? Are you looking at me? Yes, I'm looking at you. Well, the Mattel and Television. Uh, exactly, yes. The very first 16 bit system was the Mattel and Television. But that's so what we're going to talk about, about that for an hour. Um, <laughs> Astro Smash is going to be the first game we talk about. We're going to devote 20 minutes to that, and then, then Microsurgeon. Break for coffee, and mm -hmm. then Microsurgeon, and then we're done. So I hope and then I'm right. going to talk about my E Tank coffee cup. <laughs> Available from the guys at Fangamer down in the... That's right. Uh, apparently we're doing the plug section now. Why don't yes. we get all that out, out of the way right up front? This is ceramic. It's really nice. I'm going to pretend to drink out of it. I was, on a, I was on a morning show once. And you? Did you ever... Like, like morning shows, like with the two like, you know, hosts and like... I, we talked about the video games that were coming out that year. And you know how they have the coffee cup sitting on the table? There's no coffee in it. What? Just a, just a prop. Wow. So uh, there, there's another thirsty. plug to get out of the way. I'll, I'll do this before and after the show. Uh, I came to realize the classic console room, which is on the other side of uh, this floor, is open until 2 a.m. So uh, at least some of us are going to be there starting at 10 if you guys want to just come hang out and play tonight. old games. 10 p.m. tonight. I will remind you guys again at the conclusion of this panel. Also, if you like this, you should go to the Radio Free Nintendo panel, which is at 10.30, I think, tomorrow morning. <laughs> And then tomorrow you should come to my panel, which is collecting old video games. And are your old video games actually buried treasure? And I think that's 16 bit. In the meantime, maybe we should actually do this panel. I know. I'm trying. To, that's why people are here. I'm trying to get all the shameless plugs out of the way fast. Right. So, uh, so yeah, the 16 bit era is kind of a nebulous section of video gaming history, and it's it's technically about technology because uh, you know the 16 bit processors that powered most of the machines in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, ran on, you know, six, or offered 16-bit power, which means, what the hell does that mean? It means nothing at all. <laughs> it, it has to do with, the, you know, the processing power and the, the processor bandwidth of those machines. Whatever, that's all kind of technical. But there's a certain aesthetic about 16-bit games that, uh, you know, you still see in, in some 
portable games, Game Boy Advance, DS, maybe even some, some, some 3DS games down the line. But for the most part, it was kind of condensed into that, that one period between the NES's dominance and the point where the PlayStation came in and said, look, 3D, polygons are great. So we, uh, we whittled it down to what, four systems, right? Right. So there's uh, the SNK Neo Geo, uh, the TurboGrafx-16, also known as PC Engine. I agree with that. Uh, the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo. I Wait, forgot about my favorite part of PAX East, which is you just say a random name of a product and people applaud. I don't know. I said Mike. <laughs> what? No, we say the product and then you. I said microsurgeon and no one said a thing. Awesome no. Possum kicks Dr. Machino's butt. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> was that a boo for Awesome that Possum? Was, that was kind of the, uh, so awesome. the crowning pinnacle of 16-bit. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. the, the mascot yeah. show yeah. over. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, should we start with the... the we should start with the, ma the race well, to mascots. I, you know, I, I, the race to mascots. Let's yeah. not. What? Really? <laughs> Russia and that, the United that was, States that are was in a heated race. That was Such not, an integral part of the... Okay. That was not an integral part. That was an unfortunate... It was like, you know, when you get the cold, you get mucus. I'm, I, I'm recovering from a cold, so this is fresh in my mind. And my skull, <laughs> That's actually. where your metaphors go to yes. immediately. Like, what's... what's I've been what's, sick recently. My nose is full of snot. This is going to be a metaphor. The mascots were not, were not the uh, objective of the 16-bit era. They were... Just kind of a side effect of marketing, and I don't know. So before the 16-bit era, the market was dominated by the Nintendo Entertainment System, both in uh, the U.S. and abroad, I'd say, unless you count computers, which I don't. And uh, <laughs> he says that not as an anti-PC snob. Frank likes computers. I like he computers. He mostly played computers. I just I didn't have one. They're also so. not really consoles. Right. Uh, but. Uh, you know, the, the, the Nintendo's Famicom came out in, what, 1983, July 1983. So there's, there's this big-ass gap in console gaming uh, that brought about new technology, uh, which led into uh, what we consider the first 16-bit system, which is the PC Engine, which came out, I believe, in 1987. Mm. Uh, October 30th, 1987 in oh, Japan. Okay. And uh, I had one. I, don't, I think I'm you the only one. You had a PC one. Engine? No, 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 oh, sorry. Geez. I had a TurboGrafx-16, okay. which was the, the American. Did anyone here have a TurboGrafx? When it was alive. How did Wait, you find like when you were one kids? guy? You guys, oh, two guys, yeah. yeah. How, did you, how did you even know about the TurboGrafx-16? <laughs> the TurboGrafx was a nice system, but it had a really, really serious weakness, which is that it was made by NEC. <laughs> NEC was the TurboGrafx's weakness. In the, in the U.S., the TurboGrafx didn't actually launch until about two weeks after the Sega Genesis came out. It had a head start of at least a year on the Genesis, in, uh, you know, the Mega Drive in Japan. So it actually kind of, you know, built some headway there. But here, like, it was, it was instantly outmatched. It was, I wouldn't say obsolete, but it was overmatched uh, from the moment it first came out. And, uh, you know, Sega came on strong with, with great marketing and strong marketing, loud marketing. And... Uh, and it did very well. Johnny Turbo. Right, I mean, the PC Engine did very well in Japan. It yeah. came out, and it was, it was a pretty strong competitor for having that, that head start. I think what's significant about the PC Engine, if you look back to, you know, like, publications of the day, uh, when, when that first started coming around in 87, 88, when we got, you know, import coverage of it, it's like, it looked like arcade games. You know, you didn't really get that from the Nintendo at the time. You did when the Nintendo launched, but, but at the time, you know, they're, they're, the, the arcades were far ahead of the NES, but the TurboGrafx was... The first time that you just looked at screenshots and it was like, that looks exactly like our type, you know? The TurboGrafx is kind of a fun, or at least interesting, bridge piece of technology because yeah. technically it's basically a, 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 a Nintendo NES on steroids. It, it runs on a variant of the NES's processor. It's an 8-bit system, but we call it 16 bits because it had a 16-bit in the name at, uh, in, in the U.S., and it had a 16-bit graphics processor. But, I mean, you and know, it just looks 16-bit. Yeah, if you put the NES next to yeah. the, the TurboGrafx, uh, there's no comparison. Like, the TurboGrafx looks great. Indeed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kurt, would Indeed you like to add anything here? Uh, I think the no. big thing, well, yeah, I, I guess I can't really say too much about it. Um, I mean, it had arcade-quality graphics, but... I, at the time, like R-Type was a game that I never really played, and uh, the Sega, they actually had names to it, but I guess we could talk about without the Sega. Uh, I'm going to try the name thing again. Keith Courage. <laughs> yeah. That, it's just See, that one just guy right that there. It's like, I had that game. <laughs> Can you actually enjoy rabbits? it, though? When you played it, did you say, I am so proud to own this game? <laughs> Half <laughs> hour. Oh, come on. What was Keith your Courage big Turbo Graphics okay. game? What was your favorite? Oh, Military Madness. Madness. Yeah. 
That's one of those that they keep remaking. Boss That's Adventure how good indeed. Air Zonk. Legendary Axe. Legendary Axe was bad. Air Zonk? <laughs> Air Zonk was good. You have expensive tastes. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the Turbo Graphics were sort of first out of the gate, but uh, like you said, the, the Sega was uh, coming right up behind them with the, uh, the Mega Drive, which we know is the Genesis here in the United States. And uh, I had one of them, too. Turns out a Genesis. Yeah, yeah. I, I traded. I, I sold my Game Boy. Got me a Genesis and Sonic. Really? Yeah, I did. Well, b- before we uh, shift gears entirely to Sega, I think it's interesting that you know, listening to the people to uh, to the games that people out there you know remember and loved from the Turbo Graphics era, most of those are games that have actually uh, are, are more familiar to people now for their remakes. It's like the, uh, mm. the the really strong games from the Turbo Graphics era tend to be the ones that are revisited, like the Bonks, the mm. Military Madnesses, the Bomberman, yeah, the, yeah, I mean, the Dracula know, Xs. When you talk about companies that, because uh, there's a lot of companies out there that are sitting on like, you know, all of these old franchises and fans want them to revitalize them. And Hudson is not one of those companies. Like Hudson, uh, in, the sense that, in the sense that Hudson absolutely makes hay as much as it possibly can with all of its old franchises. Who? Is there, yeah, oh, right. They're, they're dead now, aren't Hudson they? Hudson died. Mm. Sorry, my, the U.S. My bad. arm of the company. That's true. That's true. They're now owned by Konami, so it's kind of like being dead. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but Konami's pretty good about retro releases, also, actually, Sometimes. and bringing back franchises. Yeah, true. There's a new Rocket Knight. I don't know why. There's a new, but there's a new Rocket Knight, and there's a new Hardcore. That's true. Yeah. What, so did, what was I talking about, though? Yeah. Well, Hudson. No. Yeah, no, Hudson has been very good at. Uh, yeah, bringing back its old stuff. You know, the PC Engine, I believe, was the first uh, CD add-on as well. I'm pretty sure that's right. Like by a wide, wide margin of the 16-bit era was this idea of uh, multimedia CD applications. Yeah, actually, the only the only one of the 16, you know, the big 16-bit systems that didn't have a CD add-on was the Super NES, right? Which was supposed to have a uh, two of them CD (laughs) add-on, but that didn't Uh, work quite so well. Yeah, but that's that's another show. I'd say (laughs) that is another show. show. Yeah, that's another show in and of itself. The thing about the TurboGrafx-16 is that a lot of the TurboChip games I was never really that impressed by, but once they hit the CD era, that's when I think the really great games started coming out. Like, I remember back in um, Electronic Gaming Monthly, one of the first 10s I ever saw them give was for Eastbook 1 and 2, like, just mm. solely on the face of the soundtrack. And that's when I first started paying attention to it, even though I was way too poor at Vivon. See, Ease Book 1 and 2, another game that people know through the remakes, such as the one that came out like two weeks ago. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and the one that came out like a year before that for the DS. <laughs> I heard like two people clapping when you mentioned Ease. <laughs> yeah, don't clap for that. Keith Courage got more applause than Ease. <laughs> That's just people being that. sarcastic with their hands. <laughs> there was a lot of really off-kilter licensed stuff that came out, for at least for the PC Engine, that sort of got unlicensed in America. Like, Keith Courage was what, what Taru-kun? Which is some sort of anime. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, JJ, JJ and Jeff yeah, was, was based Jinx. on uh, Kato and Ken, uh, mm-hmm. two Japanese comedians. Yeah. Very yeah. really into scatological humor. Yeah. And I think that that's, that typified a lot of the TurboGrafx-16 in that it was a very Japanese console that they they like sort of published stuff for America, yeah. but not to the same level that the Genesis did. That right. Just well, had it was, a huge it was, amount of Western focus. The vast majority of those games were published in the in the U.S. and and even in Japan by either Hudson or, yeah. or NEC. It yeah. was true. I mean, there's, there there's very, very any, few true third, third-party games. Yeah. Um, Sidearm? Which is actually is kind of like... Uh, like there's, there's very, very few. I think Sidearm's is sort of like uh, well, when Capcom Sega published? did like Strider, yeah. like they did it themselves, and then uh, yeah. like whoever just published it, like NEC. Not sure, but things like... Um, yeah, the, the Capcom games, Fighting Street, was actually published by NEC. Yeah, oh, and know. that actually wasn't too uncommon. Uh, Fighting like, Street, up, by the way, the was uh, Street Fighter 1. Sorry? That wasn't too uncommon for the games industry up to that point, because if you look back at the Atari era, Atari you know, and Coleco mm-hmm. would publish right. uh, and develop most of the games that they licensed from other companies. Yeah. Uh, the Sega Master System had like two third-party games ever published for it, I think. Um, Everything else was licensed seven, by Sega. Six, yeah, I think seven. it was Parker Brothers and Activision. Eight. I'm going to say eight. Yeah, so it wasn't very many, but but basically Sega would license games like R-Type or Rygar, or not Rygar, Rastin. Well, maybe Rygar. No, they did Rygar. Um, yeah, and they would, they would develop those themselves. So, you know, the, the PC Engine was kind of an extension of that philosophy. A lot of those games were actually coded by NEC. Yeah, like Fighting Street, which is Frank was saying, is the first Street Fighter, was the, the version on the PC Engine, or the TurboGrafx also, was coded by NEC. They just licensed it from Capcom. So in a lot no, of ways, nothing for Fighting Street, by the way. Does anybody like Fighting Street out no there? No one likes. No, Street you should all play Fighting Street 
or Street Fighter One. Don't. No, do it. it has those dopey slippers. It's terrible. For you with red hair and slippers. Don't yeah. listen to Toller's lies. All of the voice acting for all of the guys is the same, and it's all done by the same like random Japanese janitor or whoever they found, and it's all in English. It's tremendous. It sounds you can like see a on the screen what they're supposed converter. to be saying, and then oh, it's, it's beautiful. So, so you know, kind of branching off of that point, I think the uh, the Genesis was a breakthrough in a lot of ways, the Mega Drive, because mm-hmm. it was kind of a move toward a more Nintendo-structured licensing schematic, and it was a system that was, at the same time, uh, considerably more powerful than anything that had come before on the console front. It was it was definitely more powerful than the PC Engine, the TurboGrafx-16, as well as the NES. Well, uh, what I think is, is interesting, uh, especially since we're talking about third-party publishing, so... When the NES and the Master System were going head-to-head, uh, Nintendo had this exclusivity cause. Uh, if you publish games for the Nintendo, you cannot publish that same game for anyone else. It has to be exclusive to the NES, at least in the United States, I should clarify. Uh, by the time the Genesis started kind of hitting its stride, that it had been relaxed a bit. So uh, the Genesis is kind of the first time that we started seeing, at least in America, you know, right. cross-platform. Game. But it did it did very famously stop uh, Sunsoft from bringing their Turbo Graphics Batman game to the U.S. because they had published the Genesis it. Batman game. You mean no Turbo Graphics? They never wanted to bring that here. That crappy Pac-Man game with Batman. Well, and I, was, Has anyone ever seen sorry, Batman sorry, sorry, for the Turbo I got the, awesome I got the two confused. You're right. The awesome Genesis version to the U.S. That was not awesome <laughs> either, but for different reasons. Oh, but okay. the Turbo Graphics uh, Batman what? game. You guys should look this up on like Moby Games or something. It's like this weird uh, overhead maze like arcade game with Batman for some reason. And uh, I, I actually got the story behind this. I don't know if I ever told you guys about this. Go uh, on. Okay, so so uh, Sunsoft in Japan was making like a, a traditional like sort of sort of like the NES Batman game, but for Turbo Graphics, uh, and they were developing it. But uh, they got in some pretty heated uh, licensing arguments with uh, Warner Brothers, who in DC. And uh, the story, as it was told to me by the guy who was producing it, is that. Uh, they got so fed up that they made a crappy Pac-Man game as a screw you and uh, got away with it because of their contract. And that's why uh, Batman on the PC Engine <laughs> has nothing to do with Batman other than that sprite. It's pretty good. But um, it's not fantastic. It's a bad game. It's a very bad game. But uh, yes, that, that you is, said the music. Oh, the music, the music, Sunsoft music. Sunsoft was, you know, one of my favorite uh, game composing companies. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you on the music. Uh, but yes, was Kenji, was Kenji Inno at, at Sunsoft? I don't think so. He, oh, really? No. Okay. All right. You think of Sunman? Oh yes, Sunman. Yeah, that was that, that was, wasn't by Sunsoft. No, no, no. Uh, well, it was going to be published by them. But anyway, so yeah, Batman on the Genesis is a very famous example of 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 that exact thing that they were, we were talking about. Yes. You know, there's this like year gap uh, between the Batman movie and and uh, coming out. Uh, the the Genesis game came out uh, in Japan, but you know, all the magazines of the time being EGM, I guess. <laughs> Uh, just you know, every there month was, there was game player strategy guides in Nintendo <laughs> games. Also, every month would be like, still no Batman. We didn't, we were never gonna get it, and 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 there's this hype for this damn Batman game mm-hmm. for like a year in magazines, like this this secret Batman game that you could only get if you imported from Japan because of this licensing restriction. Hmm. And then we finally got it like a year later, mm-hmm. and it was awful. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, again, I don't know if we want to go off on that point at all, but Genesis, I think, is the beginning of sort of cross-platform gaming in the U.S. where, where you had options. Yeah, and, and companies, you know, really seeing a lot of opportunity there to publish games in the Genesis because it's not like anybody was fighting with Nintendo over the right to publish their games on Master System, right? So, right. I mean, but the Genesis, like, you know, that, that actually started increasing tensions between third-party publishers and Nintendo vis-a-vis their, their policies. And the uh, the Genesis, you know, represented, like I said before, a, a huge step technologically over anything that had come before. It was running on a, uh, a Motorola 68000 chip, which is, you know, the same chip that they used in Macintoshes and I think in Amigas also. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was not some dinky little little machine. It used uh, a very powerful and also very uh, familiar, very well documented chip. So you know that made the platform very easy for people to approach. So you could have people like Treasure come in and just do completely ridiculous things because everyone knew how to how to really squeeze the most out of the 68,000 system. Gunstar Heroes. 
Well, you, you said treasure. I had to, yeah. I was thinking more like Yu Yu Hakusho. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think you can see a, a lot of that passion when it came to Konami and their games that they yeah. put out, like Contra Hardcore and Castlevania Bloodlines. Like, Castlevania Bloodlines is a Castlevania tech demo. They just put so many weird, random stuff for reasons nobody can really understand. Like, one level was upside down, one level looked like it was viewed through, like, a shattered mirror. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't any rationale. It was just because somebody at Konami decided to, you know, screw with it for fun. It was weird. Like, like a lot of Genesis games come across as being, like, like cracking scene intros, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like where, where people would just squeeze the hell out of a computer, like a Commodore 64, and just have weird 3D effects for no reason. I think like the Adventures of Batman, the Adventures of Batman and Robin. Yeah. All right, two guys. Uh, th- 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 well, that was even crazy. Did you say Batman on Genesis was crappy? Uh, Batman the movie on Genesis, the Adventures of Batman and Robin, based on the animated series, uh, is a very good game. It's like yeah. it it's like a shooter platform game. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know what, it's sort of like Treasure, but not nearly as well balanced. But graphically, it looks amazing. It has this really really awesome techno soundtrack by uh, Jesper Kidd, who still does like the Assassin's Creed soundtracks nowadays, mm-hmm. and it it looks incredible. So we were talking about how the Genesis was easy to develop for, but uh, I don't think that was true of the sound chip based on every third-party Genesis game ever sounding like garbage. Yeah, I oh, don't know what the story with that was. There, there's three instruments. There's there's bleh, and there's fart, and there's bleh. <laughs> No, no, there's also... <laughs> oh, every, every bit right. of tech documentation I've ever read is nobody really understands how it worked. And you can see that nowadays with any Genesis sound emulator, even on commercial products, yep. does not sound right. It's true. Like, no one's really gotten the Genesis emulated correctly sound-wise, I don't think. At, at the same time, that, that kind of, like, weird coldness of the Genesis sound chip is, is something that made the system seem so, I guess, futuristic when it first launched. I agree like when, with you. When those yeah. games came out, you know, you were used to NES sound or, you know, whatever sound your, your sad little PC could, could generate. But then you got these Genesis games, and it sounded like they were being recorded by this... Uh, like I don't know, like an alien jug band from the future, and everything was was like really cold and harsh, and just felt really bleak. And even a game like Super Ghouls and Ghosts, which was you know very medieval, had very yep. lush graphics, like it just felt kind of stark and barren because of that soundtrack. And it really like it 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 just lent the whole system this kind of sense of like this is something different. This is yeah. this is creepy and and new and and futuristic, and I like it. It really benefited games like uh, Shadow Run. Yeah. <laughs> There's a delay on that one. It had a very dark and gritty sound to it, especially um, Thunder Force 4, Lightning Force, had a really, really rocking soundtrack. Same thing with Musha. Like, anybody who could really do that sort of rock soundtrack, it had a really unique sound. But, you know, uh, Sega wasn't, the, uh, wasn't alone on the market forever in the 16-bit era. That's true. Eventually, the Neo Geo came along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was... Then, then shit got real. Wait, so did did anyone uh, actually own a Neo Geo home console? Back in the day. Back in the yes. day. You, sir. What was wrong wow. with you? <laughs> oh, nice. oh and says you someone else raised their arms. Were you independently USA? wealthy as a child? <laughs> Can you, can you say that louder? You can go to the mic, actually. Yeah. Maybe. We're gonna, Does the mic work? I don't know. We'll find out. Okay, it works. I got a nod. I, I, I just had a little bit of a disposable income at the time. Just a little bit. <laughs> a little. little bit of just a few thousand to spend on a couple yeah. 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 A few extra thousand Geo dollars and, for and the, the pocket. MBS retailed for $650, 649 Is that right? And, uh, and that wasn't with the controller, right? That was the, the, <laughs> that was the base. No system. plugs, no controller. <laughs> right. yeah. Have you guys oh, seen you the cartridges? They're they're like encyclopedia volumes. They 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 come in these nice big thick plastic cases. Yeah. But of course, that was the whole selling point of the yeah, Neo Geo. It's true. What, it, the cartridges were really big? Yes, that you could kill a man with a cartridge <laughs> and oh, take okay. his money, and, <laughs> and then you, you could subsidize your, right, your yeah. Neo Geo habit. Well, it was big, it was, you know, expensive, kind of like hi fi, like, you know, you are on the cutting edge of technology. And, right, and, right. And yeah. back, back then, cutting edge was not, like, sleek and small like right. it is now. It's like, you know, it's a piece of furniture. It was the 80s, it was conspicuous yeah. consumption. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the Neo Geo uh, was literally an arcade experience at home. The, the MVS that uh, you know plugged into your television was the same as the AES, or did it get that backward? Whatever. Uh, that, that was the arcade unit. They ran the same games basically, although there was like some some kind of mod you had to do to get them to work interchangeably between systems. Yeah, a home but, system but, won't run arcade cartridges unless you have a converter. Yeah, right. And it's you know vice versa. 
Yeah, and basically the only difference is like the coin drop mechanism, I think, you know, for most games. Yeah, so you would play a game in the arcade and then you could go home and you could play that exact game at your home on your television. But if, that I, was if, kind I, of if I spent like a like thousand dollars to play Metal Slug at home, why would I go play it in the arcade? <laughs> well, because, because Frank... The, uh, the Neo Geo also offered an innovation called memory cards, which That's you might true. be familiar with with the PlayStation or other systems of the modern era. But um, the memory cards allowed you to plug in, you know, plug in the memory to your uh, to your home console, play a game, save your data. Like if you played Baseball Stars and you know progressed through the season, right Ooh, on. Yeah, um, you could take your you could take your team data and take that into the arcade and I guess like show off how awesome you were with Baseball Stars to everyone in the arcade. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, suck yeah. On that putt, and I bet they'd all crowd around and be like, oh wow. <laughs> You get so many girls doing that. Stats. Yeah, so walk out many. with a girl on each arm. Yeah, I, it still happens. Baseball stars. Still. Uh, the Something new deal when, when they were doing the uh, the home stuff, they really brought out like the the big boy gloves when it came to advertising. Like, mm. you remember the uh, the advertisement with the hot dog? I do. The, yeah. If Did you're not you eating, a weenie? if you're not eating the Neo Geo's hot dog, you're what is it? You're just a weenie or something like that. You're just yeah. It was like a picture of a hot dog, and it I had a lot of graphs showing how many more bits it had. Yeah. I remember, like, I remember a bulldog being very prominent. And it was uh, muscular, squirrel, the competition yeah, was squirrel idea. burgers. No, you know, it was like, it wasn't it a picture of a, does anybody know? It was a picture of a hot dog, and then it was a picture of like a Chicago-style hot dog with the pickles on it and shit. And it was like, anyway. This is our system, it's better because it has more shit Stop talking it. about wieners. <laughs> there was this one really but that's other, all I think about. <laughs> slightly racy ad, which I never saw actually ran anywhere. It was this uh, one guy and his wife, she's dressed in lingerie, and he's busy ignoring her play something really stupid, like uh, this one Contra code called Cyberlip. And uh, it was just very awkward. I love that name. <laughs> and I don't want to kiss that. <laughs> no. Not at all. Okay. But uh, Neo Geo. Uh, yeah. I think uh, no, the Neo Geo uh, was, was kind of to Genesis as TurboGrafx-16 had been to NES. It ran on the same basic technology, except it was amped way up. It was uh, the same 68,000 processor that you saw in the Genesis and the Macintosh. It ran at like twice the speed of the Genesis's. It had uh, way more RAM. Well, no, it had about the same amount of RAM, but much more video RAM. Mm. And uh, it had, I don't know, like the, the, the hardware was really RAM. crazy and uh, had kind of some weird quirks to it. But it was still a viable system all the way up until like the beginning of last decade. They were still making games for it. Yeah, and they just, still looked really, really good. Stuff yeah. like... Um, what were some of the later games, like The Last Blade 2? Mm -hmm. um, Last Blade, Garrow, Mark of the Wolves. Yeah, Mark of the Wolves, yeah. Metal Slug, all the way up to 5. Yeah, I The later Metal up. Slug games. Like, yeah, yeah that, was, that was running on a um, system that came out at the same time as the Genesis, but... Like the they're, they're making they games amazing. up until 2004. Yeah, and it's weird. Like you'd get like Dreamcast ports of the Neo Geo games, and like they're not as good as, as the games that uh, you know were made for a system that was like a decade older than. The yeah, Dreamcast. I mean the the Sega Saturn was by all accounts a 2D powerhouse, but it still had some trouble yeah. with running certain you know SNK games that were had Neo Geo origins. It's pretty impressive, but, but it was uh, also really really expensive. Yeah, no one had so it. So only two people in here could even afford one. <laughs> Uh, so that's why they came out with the Neo Geo CD, which mm -hmm. was basically the same system but cheaper, and no one bought that either. Nope. Yeah, yeah by that point, it wasn't the price, I don't think. Well, at that point, it's like, do you like fighting games that aren't Street Fighter 2? Well, <laughs> if not, then you should get something else. <laughs> you wiener. <laughs> the Neo Geo CD is kind of weird because the, the big selling point of the Neo Geo games, which is that they had... Huge memory capacity, mm -hmm. no limits. Everything, oh, yeah. like, everything yeah. could be huge. That actually worked against the CD player mm -hmm. because it had a single speed loading uh, time. So that's what I have. Those huge, I... huge game ROMs took forever to load into your system. They so had you to would... load in the entire thing all at once because there was no. They just took the ROM and dumped it on the CD and then loaded it in as if it were a cartridge. So basically, you put the game in and you had to watch this loading animation of a monkey juggling a ball or something like that for like a week, and then you'd be. <laughs> Then you get to play like Fatal Fury 2. Yeah, I, mean, I, really, I think the first time that uh, someone spent a minute and a half loading a uh, Fatal Fury level or a, you know fight and then finished the fight in 30 seconds and had to load the next one for a minute and 30 seconds, <laughs> I think that kind of took the bloom off the rose, as they say. They really should have done it on like laser discs to keep yes. with the theme. <laughs> Maybe they could have teamed up with Don Bluth and gotten him to <laughs> illustrate Metal Slug. No, no. <laughs> but. Uh, 
Yeah, Neo Geo was uh, an interesting, interesting it, thing. The, the, we, we mentioned the, um, the Turbo CD and the Neo Geo CD. Should we mention the Sega CD, or is it... Snatcher. <laughs> but that I was actually a, yes. a PC-8801 game. But it was better on the Sega CD. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, I, I, I think of it as a Sega CD game, despite its origins. I, I think they really went all out for the Sega CD version, which is awesome, as uh, people in this room can attest to. But uh, Sega CD... Uh, uh, prize fight. Uh, <laughs> uh, for, for my money, the uh, the game that kind of like defined the Sega CD and really made it worthwhile came at the very end, which was Lunar 2, and it was you know pretty much a traditional, <laughs> pretty much a traditional you know RPG in the Japanese style. Not really that much different from the original Lunar, but except for the fact that like working designs broke the American version. Meh, 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 meh. You, yeah. had to, you had to spend people, MP to people save. bitch about that, but I did not have any trouble with that game. It's, well, you know, I didn't definitely. I played it on the PlayStation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but but the uh, the animation that they put into that game, uh, you know, I think cutscenes are kind of uh, past their sell-by uh, date at this point. But but back in 1995, mm -hmm. the the animated cutscenes that showed up throughout the game, uh, like those were absolutely phenomenal. They were beautiful, and they told a really interesting story, and they told it well. And they really made the game like uh, I don't know. I recently had kind of an online discussion about which game had the most amazing intro of that era, and people were saying Chrono Trigger was so awesome. But like if you if you hold up the intro to Chrono Trigger, which I love, next to the intro to Lunar 2, like there's just no comparison. Lunar 2 is the cinematic. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's beautifully drawn and has really great music and really just kind of pulls you in and makes you want to know what the game is about. Actraiser has the best intro ever. Where it's. Does. Isn't that just like a spinning logo? Bum, Fuck bum, yes, bum, it's a spinning logo. <laughs> you know the uh, spun the shit out of that logo. The, the Sega CD is also notable for being the only system to uh, have a game with uh, hip hop duo Crisscross as a, as a star. Also, Marky Mark, I think. Marky Mark. Actually, my uh, let me tell you about my iPhone game in development that's going to change that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Crisscross is back. Yeah. Can you make their video this time again? This time, you make them jump. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Could have made a million dollars. Gave that shit away. That was a pretty good joke, Chris Kohler. I like that one. One of the reasons uh, I love the Sega CD was it was it was in that CD-ROM era where you know all the big uh, PC games were coming out. But my family couldn't afford like a two thousand dollar computer. But they uh, they ported a lot of those games to the Sega CD, and a lot mm -hmm. of them they were kind of bad ports. But that's how they got me into it. Like you know they had Monkey Islands, Dune. Wing Commander, Rise of the Dragon, and some of those they even added stuff with that you weren't ever put in the back of the original PC version, which still makes them kind of relevant. Like Rise of the Dragon is kind of a kind of an iffy uh, adventure game by a Sierra subsidiary, but it has really really good voice acting and has a character named the Jake, which I always like. <laughs> the Jake. I think the more Jake. people need articles in their names. <laughs> so uh, we're kind of past the halfway point here, and we haven't even touched on Super Nintendo. Yeah, I, I kind of want well, like, to rock through this so we can get questions. So we can get the segue lie. into it a little bit, but I was serious about the the Actraiser intro. Is that that was the that was the moment for me that like blew me away technologically with 16-bit, like all those things happening at once. Like you know, I played Mario World and loved it and everything, but like putting an Actraiser in the Super Nintendo for the first time with the not only them doing that chintzy mode seven thing with the logo spinning up to the front. But like the the incredible use of the sound hardware, the really really great sound programming, and the yeah. Let's hear it from the Super still, Nintendo. I can still go listen. On, go I can on. still listen to that music. I listen to that and to Secret of Mana soundtrack right right off this. So right Chris off Kohler, the OST, and I can still listen to that to this day. It's still beautiful. Chris stuff. Kohler, what you're saying is that the best thing about Nintendo's Super NES was the Sony sound chip. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sony. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that for me was my personal moment where, like, I realized that we had, you know, crossed the line and that, that you know, video games were now going to be showing me some, some pretty amazing stuff, you know, graphically and sound-wise and in terms of presentation. And, it, you know, it, I feel like it totally lived up to that, to that initial promise of seeing that Actraiser logo, the, not only the game Actraiser, which was awesome, but, like, the, the rest of the 16-bit the, the era. You know, the, the Super NES library is kind of weird because I feel like the games in the first six months or so were so much more experimental and innovative and, like, People were really trying crazy things with all this new hardware power that the Nintendo Rocketeer, gave them. The Rocketeer, Like if you compare, yeah, you compare stuff like, oh, <laughs> I mean stuff like Contra Three, Super all Castlevania right, right. Four. Like level four of Super Castlevania Four is in itself pretty much like 
the ultimate Super NES sales pitch. It's like, here's every ridiculous thing that the Super NES hardware can do, and you can whip your way through it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, later in the, in the system's life, you tended to see more kind of standard uh, platformers, and sometimes people would do little spinny things with Mode 7, but you never really saw that kind of, like, super wild, dramatic, ambitious design outside of a few games. Pilot Wings, I thought, was a good uh, tech demo for the Super <laughs> Nintendo. I mean, that, 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 that's the one that really solidified the sort of like scaling and rotation thing to me. When, when you're skydiving and you're actually seeing the ground come up, like that, that, was, that was revolutionary to me at the time. Like, I felt yeah. like I was actually inhabiting a space. You know, I didn't really feel like that mm. on any other system. Yeah, it was mode, I mean, mode 7 was a very, very simple thing, right? It was just it was sprite scaling and rotation. Yep. But, it, it, but if you used it correctly... You could, which you most could people did people, not. Which most people did not. But right. if if you were able to use it correctly, you could really give people for the first time that little glimpse of a of a taste of, mm -hmm. of a 3D world. Yeah. I always appreciated when developers used that that mode seven effect really subtly. Like in the Final Fantasy games, when you go out into the overworld, the world just kind of tilts back a little bit, and some sprites pop up, mm -hmm. and it gives you this real sense of depth that you couldn't get from other systems. You know, before. The 3D yeah. thing took over. Well, that's like, what that, you were... that didn't like blow your mind or anything, but it really created this kind of sense of like, oh, this is something a little different, and, and they're really trying to give me a sense of like this vast world that I'm explore exploring and. Inhabiting. Well, that's that's kind of like what you were talking about the, with the Lunar 2 animated cutscenes. Is that when you look at the beginning of 16-bit and and towards the end, it's people in the beginning. It's just designers going crazy and using all of these new little hardware tricks that are that are free because they're built into the hardware and that are at their disposal. And then it's it's kind of like pulling taking. A step back and say, okay, let's let's use these in more in more subtle, smarter ways. You know, like the, the way that the way that, that that Yoshi's Island was a Super FX game. You know, it wasn't like Star Fox Polygon Super FX. It was just it was done in, in more subtle ways that kind of. I don't know. To me, know. that's that game. I was just going to suggest it as a recommendation of a game that's totally showing off. Because it's doing some stuff that you had never seen any other game do, and it's not using the Super FX chips to do 3D, but it's still right. it's like crazy stuff with, with platformers that no one had ever done before. And, uh, you know, a friend, a friend of ours, uh, Jess Reagan, Someone in there is a fan of crazy stuff. In, like, 2001 or something, and he just sat really? there the entire time, and he was like, they're just showing off. Like, this seems fun, but they're just showing off. And he was really offended by the fact that they're showing off. Oh. He gets offended by stuff like that. Well, yeah, he's a jerk. I think... Uh, I th I here in the audience today, no. Jess, <laughs> Jess, no. Uh, I, think, I think one of the most important things about the introduction of the Super Nintendo is that it was kind of the start of the console wars, where uh, everyone at the schoolyard is brother either, against brother. Yep, defending the Genesis. The Genesis, by the way, way fucking cooler than the Super Nintendo. Yeah. yeah. Genesis was like the punk rock system, like 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 Nintendo was like the soft like Disney system, and then Genesis came in with like it's jazz. It was like in your face. It was really cool. It was like it was it was it was like the Looney Tunes to like whatever the fuck Mickey Mouse was doing, you know? Like, oh, like it was, it was Genesis okay. was just right, awesome, and uh, uh, it, it welcomed me to the next level <laughs> by doing what Nintendo didn't. And, and by screaming at me in commercials <laughs> incessantly. And well, eventually, uh, also Sonic well, the Hedgehog was Nintendo, really cool. Nintendo and Black Processing the, was also cool. The Play cool. Loud campaign. Which they got back in. What are we... What does? What? Doesn't suck. You what did he say dance suck? with zombies. Okay, you're right. Eventually Nintendo caught up and they started detonating fat people in commercials. Yeah, it like, didn't really work out for them, did it? Because yeah. no, yeah. Sega was cooler. Sega... <laughs> They did the play it loud thing as a desperate attempt to combat Sega's amazing marketing. When their ad for Super Punch Out was pictures of battered women. Uh, <laughs> in your fucking face. But uh, I, I think uh, one of the most notable things, we were talking about this at lunch, when, uh, when Sega was coming out with Sonic 1 and uh, Super Nintendo had, you know, Mario World, uh, they actually had public demonstrations where they're like, Here's Mario World and here's Sonic and like when you put them like next to each other, Sonic looks a lot like faster and meaner and sleeker than Mario World, which uh, is a better game. Me, does is Sonic game? have 96 exits? I don't think so. Whoa, 96. Yeah. 96. He doesn't have exits. a yellow cape either. And when, <laughs> and when you beat the game, do the enemies turn into pumpkins? No, they do. no, they don't. 
There's just a fat guy juggling. It's, it's a little more. It's a little more subtle. You have to appreciate. <laughs> it's the difference between you know like a wine cooler and a really great wine from yeah. Napa. And I should say, uh, my my rant just then about Sega being cooler was uh, based on me being a child. In retrospect, the Superintendent <laughs> had a better library. I'm just gonna put that out there. Fair I enough. think a lot of it uh, appearing to be cooler had to do with the uh, the sports game stuff at the time. Yep. Was uh, at least back then there was the perception that. You know, Electronic Arts supported Madden and NHLPA and all that sort of stuff, but the Sega versions were always better. And had Deion Sanders on the cover. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that yeah, was Deion Super, Sanders. Super NES yeah. had Bill Lambert's Combat Basketball. That's true. It did have Come that. on. <laughs> yeah, and it had that crappy Mode 7 NCAA basketball game. Do you remember that? It was yes. all like, look, it's moving. The it court. Like playing basketball in the top-down stages of Contra 3. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? Yeah, the, uh, the Sega had a pretty significant amount of Western support because it was much more popular here than it was in Japan. Yep. So you had Electronic Arts, and they put out a ton of stuff, and most of it isn't very good, but it exists. <laughs> uh, there's some interesting RPGs, though, like uh, Techno Clash, which has, but you know... it exists. It, it, <laughs> it has sort of like an awesome dude, uh, like, passing a spell against a Terminator or something. It's really, really awesome looking. <laughs> but uh, Sega had a, a pretty significant amount of games that they published, too. Like yeah. uh, the Sega Technical Institute. Were those the guys that, I think, developed Comic Zone? Yep. Yeah. Uh, they did Sonic Spinball also. Uh, they did... Uh, the Ooze. No, no one for the Ooze, huh? Yeah, no, no one. So that's all right. Uh, I think they did a lot of work on Sonic 2 and 3 also. Yeah, that was, that was, was our friend Mark Cerny. Yep. And uh, Steve Voita, who's been on Retronauts, was a Sega Technical Institute employee. That's yes. right. Uh, but the Super Nintendo, uh, I don't know. It, it, I, I, when I think of the 16-bit era, I, I do think of, of the wars between Sega and Nintendo, uh, both you know on my school play yard and and and, and, and here in this in this auditorium. And, and, yeah. So uh, we're gonna actually stage a fight uh, tonight at 10. <laughs> so yeah, if you could line up uh, one side or the other, mm -hmm. Sega versus Genesis. Uh, I did eventually get a Super Nintendo. I got one Christmas of '94 because I really bought into Donkey Kong Country. I'm glad to hear some woos because uh, I feel like I'm in the minority who still thinks it's a great game. Thank you. And, and who doesn't think so? <laughs> yeah, that guy in the back. I guess they're the minority. That one guy, though, he hates it. I'm with you, bro. That guy's a Sega apologist. <laughs> Oh, I have a very quick anecdote I want to share before it like leaves my memory forever. Okay. Uh, I just got uh, on eBay a bunch of arcade trade magazines from the 80s, and there's a letter in this 1987 issue from an arcade operator uh, complaining that uh, he, he's reluctant to buy any new Sega arcade games because uh, uh, they are so quick to introduce their next generation of technology. Uh, in arcade games, hmm. so like you know, he, he bought 1987. Yeah, okay. so like they've always done that. <laughs> oh, they've screwed over everybody. Even in '87, they yeah. were pulling the Saturn thing on arcade operators, <laughs> and I thought that was kind of amazing. Right? And wow, I just brought home my brand new Sega CD. <laughs> you're what, kid? The 32X. 32X, you bitch. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I bought my 32X and I plugged in all three. It's time for Saturn. After. Oh, goddamn! <laughs> so, in summary, Super NES is awesome. Yeah. Yay! Um, anyway, the, uh, the 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 I think we've probably talked enough now. I think it's I want some other questions. Time for questions. So there are the whole thing uh, about Retronuts now is that it's we're we're lazy and we just want to like bounce off of your questions. Two so microphones. Questions. Microphone microphone. No, 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 no. Stand up and then Stand, walk to the line microphone. up at the mic. Don't just raise your hand. So there's one you do. Either anyone who wants here. to talk. And let me let all. me raise the stakes. Before this podcast started, I found five dollars on the ground and I could keep that myself. But I'm feeling generous. So whoever asks the most awesome question of all, mm -hmm. you get this. I would say shiny, but I'd be lying. This, yeah. this not so shiny five dollars. I do want it good. <laughs> That's mine. I want to share something before the questions start. While people are lining up uh, on the show floor today, uh, Video Games New York is one of the booths. They sell old games. I got this Famicom game. It's called Action and Adventures Sherlock Holmes. And uh, I don't know how many... like Professor Layton, actually. <laughs> it's exactly it, is, like... it is high concept. Like, that it, is what it is, right? It, it's actually an action game where you are Sherlock Holmes running around the streets of London gunning people down. <laughs> I'm not making this up. So, so it's the Robert Downey Jr. movie. And it's got a drawing of a pig on it. 
So I'm really looking forward to going That's home. That's the rare variant, the pig drawing <laughs> on the back variant. All right, and before, before everyone takes off, uh, just a quick reminder, tomorrow's 1UP Meetup. Uh, I'm sure you have something that's either in your seat or sticking to your butt right now. Uh, that's tomorrow at 8 p.m. at the Whiskey Priest Irish Pub, which is like two blocks away, really close. So there's no excuse not to go. Um, and also, 10 p.m. tonight, we're just going to be going and playing old video games in the console classics. The classic room. console room. There's two console yes. rooms. We're going to the classic one. So come, uh, I don't know, kill us. Come play classic video. Yeah, right. All right, so should we start on the left here? I, I, I say on the left. That's right. how we read in this language. Hi. Hi. Yo, who are you? Uh, my name's Justin. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Hi there. Uh, so, Jeremy, you made me think of this question since you are obviously cosplaying as Michael Jackson from Moonwalker. <laughs> Do you? He was wearing guys... white, dude. <laughs> I'm Do like you... evil Michael Jackson, if anything. <laughs> I'm gonna kill your kids and save them. <laughs> Do you guys? Terrifying. Um, do you guys have any favorite licensed games like that that are kind of hidden gems that you recommend that folks like us play? Do they have to be good or just silly? No. Uh, Sherlock Holmes action. <laughs> uh, Square's Tom Sawyer for the Famicom. Yes, that's All a right, good one. Guys, specifically 16-bit. Uh, yeah, uh, 16-bit uh, Super Back to the Future 2 on the Super Nintendo is it's it only came out in Japan and it's this really weird platform game where you're where you're super and like super deformed anime Marty McFly on a hoverboard always and you just run and jump on like cops shooting giant bullet bills at you. It's it's uh, it's not a good game, but it's really silly and, and funny, and, and you should at least like watch it on YouTube. It wasn't released world. in the U.S., but the violinist of Hamlin for Super Famicom is actually a really fun. Uh, platform kind of action game based on a, a Japanese manga or anime or something. Anyway, the, the gimmick is that you're a dude who runs around playing violin at bad guys, but there's like this little girl who follows you around all the time, and if you want to beat the bad guys, you just like pick her up and chuck them at the bad guys. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Wait, is that a license? Yeah, it's licensed. Okay. Totally licensed. I honestly, God, don't think I've ever played any licensed uh, games for the Genesis or, Su or Super NES that I thought were really, really great. So, well, now, it, now it, I've learned about a couple. Great, remember? Oh, uh, okay. Aladdin oh was my great God! Idea. Okay, okay. Sorry. Oh, Mick and Mac Global Gladiators. What I meant to say is I have a <laughs> shitty memory. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Aladdin is not a hidden gem, but yeah, Aladdin is pretty good. And actually, the Super Nintendo version, if you haven't played that, is also pretty good. Very not as totally good. game. Yay! Uh, that was a great question. That was a Thank really you, good question. No, actually, hold on, because um, it was such a good question that I don't know if you know it's the Retronauts Axis tradition that people who ask good questions get prizes. Retro video games. Well, we got the $5 prize. Do you have another? I have for you a very rare NES game. It's Sesame Street 123. This game contains two games on it, Astro Grover, um, and another game, I don't know what it is, because most of the label has been ripped off. This will get you ready for Double Fine's uh, Connect. Ernie's Magical Shapes, is that the other one? Wow, someone... Here you are, sir. Maybe. Sesame Street 123. On the opposite so, side. So, uh, we recently hit, what, 25 years of Zelda? Yep. That's true. Uh, I spent my entire weekend building did. that, and I passed out at work almost. Right. So, I have, yeah, uh, thank I have you. Kind, of a, kind of a weird question that you're probably going to think it's probably a pretty shitty question, in which case I'll, I'll take Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I thought, no, this is mine. Dude. Uh, I thought you were, no, all right, no all right. I thought you were going to give it away. Grabby, uh, but grabby. I was listening to the, uh, the podcast that you guys did on, on Zelda, and I was wondering if you think there's... Uh, any relation between the first Zelda and the 1980s Ridley Scott movie Legend? 1980s what? Movie uh, the Legend. The movie Legend. Legend? Ridley Scott. Or Legend, yeah. For the longest time, I thought that they were kind Nemo of. Like claims it was an inspiration. Is that, is that? I think I remember hearing that as well. It was a combination of that and like his childhood wandering around in the woods, and walking into holes and things and like that. That was that was the movie throwing story. swords. That was it, the movie uh, with Tom Cruise, right? It, it had Tom Cruise, and I'm and really it had glad that Link doesn't look like Tom Cruise, although he is about as short. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have actually haven't seen that movie. Uh, has anyone on this panel seen that wow, movie? Really? Have we failed this man? This man's seen the movie. I don't know. Young and boy in the forest finds this a sword. This guy is, is, You should go, just go hook up with this yeah, guy. You should an talk NPC. to this guy. He's going to do his own retro panel sure. next year. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. I'll uh, talk to me after. Yeah. Good to see you. All right. So talk to him. Uh, I told you that was a bad question. <laughs> it's not a bad question at all. Worse. If I had seen the movie, it'd be it's a very not. interesting question. We take Collins now. I've heard worse. <laughs> so, so no Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> this guy next. Hello. 
Hi. Uh, Hi. My, my name is Ben. Um, you guys got me thinking about this. Um, you said that Nintendo, um, on the Super Nintendo, they when it when it first came out, they really exploited um, kind of all the things that you could do with it. And I was thinking about it, and, it, and that kind of seems true for every Nintendo console that's released. I and mean, it seems like the wackiest and craziest and most innovative games are always released within like the first six months or a year. Um, yep. And that was true even up through the DS and the Wii. Um, and then I was thinking about like PlayStation, and, and it always seems like not to start another console war, but it always seems like they kind of you could always find those crazy, wacky, innovative games throughout the, the console's lifespan. So, so why do you think Nintendo kind of becomes more traditional and relies on old franchises once the console's life um, is kind of further down the line? Well, I think that, uh, and sorry, I didn't mean to jump on this, but uh, I think that uh, you still see wacky uh, games throughout a console's lifespan, but uh, as the console's lifespan continues, more games come out, so they kind of get lost in the shuffle. Also, I think that Nintendo, uh, I mean, certainly, like, at this point, uh, internally, they're not really doing a whole lot of DS projects because they all moved on to 3DS, and they moved on to 3DS... Uh, uh, a, a long time ago, right? Like back before we knew what the hell it was. So essentially, they're going to be taking the the standard franchises and farming them out to other developers and having them do that kind of stuff. So I mean, that's that's probably it. And I think also something about Nintendo's internal culture, because it is a company that just like throws ideas out there, and there's all kinds of stuff that they develop internally that we never see. But it's like a bunch of people just experimenting with things and trying wacky stuff. And you know, when a system's new, they, they need stuff to publish on that. So a lot of those kind of experimental things are more likely to see the light of day than I think they are once the, the, the platform is more robust and, and has a wider array of support for it. Also, I think the beginning of a lifespan is a good time to launch new stuff. Yep. I think also they became conscious of the criticism toward things becoming too gimmicky. Like, you know, you hear about Waggle Waggle all and all that for the Wii, but back for the Super Nintendo, everybody was excited for Mode 7, but after a couple of years, people started complaining that it was gratuitous, and so there's that. Yeah, for the first year of the DS, it was almost unheard of to have a game where you didn't touch and, like, blow, you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thanks for the question. Yeah, there's some joke there, but I'm not going to make you, it. You, sir. Um, yeah, my favorite thing, about the, my favorite thing about the 16-bit era is uh, the RPGs, uh, and especially some of the, I mean, there were so many good mainstream ones, but also there some of the really obscure ones, like uh, one of my favorites is Paladin's Quest, where you cast magic with your hit points, which changes the strategy a lot. So I wanted to ask the panel, what are some of your uh, favorite, less well-known RPGs from that era? Was, was the Twisted Adventures of Spike McFang? It was not an RPG. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Lagoon? That game was terrible. Um, uh, I, I have, um, maybe through like some sort of Stockholm Syndrome, but I have grown to love Brandish by Falcom, which is a game that really, like, from the, from the minute you start playing it, you realize that it hates you because your character is always stationary in the center of the screen. He always faces up. And to turn, you actually rotate the screen 90 degrees, and it's disorienting and horrible. But once you get past that and, you know, hit yourself in the head a few times and get a little loopy, it's, it's actually really good. Hmm. I swear. I would argue that Fancy Star 4 is at least as good as Fancy Star 4. But that's not lesser known. Uh, lesser known Landstalker? Does that count? Yeah, I was thinking Landstalker also. Yeah, I, don't know I, I would argue that's actually better than Link to the Past, but I don't think many people You're on would crack. agree with me on that. You're on crack, seriously. <laughs> it's all about Newtopia, actually. No one for Newtopia. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. That's a, that's a game. That's a video game. That's a new right. game. Back to the left. Yes, sir. Uh, the, this one's a two-parter. Okay. And I need you to go quickly because I really I have to pee really bad. <laughs> but uh, first of all, I would like to say I'm disappointed in you all because I find the 16-bit era is, is a great time for experimentation. Specifically, and I'm disappointed because you didn't mention this stuff, but there was the uh, like X-Band. Um, I don't. Uh, is the that the modem, modem thingy? Yeah. You play stuff online, I guess, against other people. Mm -hmm. And then also, you failed to mention Sega TV, which is also very experimental, pretty awesome. And then the third thing, and I guess I, they're kind of obscure. So but, it's a three-part so. question. Oh no, this is <laughs> this is not the question. question. My second part is the question. For somebody who really has to pee, this is a long-ass question. <laughs> This isn't even a question. This is just a harangue. It's like the prelude. <laughs> so the last thing that I really like is the Famicom, Super Famicom Satellaview, yeah. which is really experimental and pretty awesome. That was very um, weird. So 
I'm mentioning it now because you guys forgot to. Oh, you just want to get it out there? Well, what's your question, sir? My question, kind of in line with all those, because some of them could be considered peripherals. But uh, what's your favorite, I guess, 16-bit era peripheral? The uh, the menacer. For, no, not the menacer. The activator. Yeah. The activator. <laughs> The activator was this thing where, uh, for the Sega Genesis, you got like this ring that you put on the floor, and you and you stood in the ring, <laughs> right? Well, hang on. You stood We're the, getting to that, sir. You stood in the ring and uh, you you moved your hands around, and nothing happened. It was really cool. <laughs> uh, kind of like the uh, prototype connect. Yeah, it was Type basically it was kind of, it was it was a motion sensing thing that used like infrared. <laughs> it was the connect before they figured out how to get it to work. It was it was it was like the U force on the floor. I like the uh, I think it was called the interactor or the aura interactor, which yeah, like a subwoofer yeah. that you w wore on your body. Yeah, it was like <laughs> feel every punch in Mortal Kombat. Every time you got shot, it would rearrange your, your body, so it would just punch you in the kidneys. I like the I like the baby blue baby blue and pink uh, lethal enforcers guns. Really made me feel badass. Oh yeah, the justifiers. Yeah. Actually, I think the, the best answer is the Super Game Boy. Yeah. That was awesome. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, that was a really good question. I have a prize for you. You have to walk up here to get it. This is, uh, what's this going to be? Oh, okay. This is a copy of Pac-Man 2, The New Adventures for Genesis. Which is a uh, it's an adventure game uh, in which you, uh, you you sort of indirectly control Pac-Man, and it's um, it's pretty sun faded the label, and you might want to just spray some Lysol on this before you play it. But yeah, I have some sanitizer right here if you want. Yeah, that is not a joke okay. prize. That is an excellent. Has anyone played Pac-Man yeah, no, Two? I would sanitize that down. Pac-Man Two is amazing. He actually did it, by the way. Now we get to see what happens if you put alcohol on it. They told you never to put alcohol on video games. So since this is a 16-bit thing, I, I, I urge you all to at least look up Pac-Man 2, The New Adventures, which is a good man. Uh, it's a strange game. It's a strange game where, where Pac-Man uh, is kind of off on his own adventure. He walks around and does his own thing. And you are God with a slingshot ruining his day. <laughs> And uh, that's about all I'm going to say. Look up Pac-Man 2. It's, it's honestly like in my top 20 somewhere of just favorite games just because it's so weird and, and wonderful and really well right, animated. So, so we probably have time for just one more question. Uh -oh. so. You there, Phil Kohler's younger brother. <laughs> wow, yeah. Hey, um, John Hurst from Tennessee. And um, actually, he stole my question because I was also going to talk about the activator. But I have a backup question. Um, what do you? What is your regard on the Super Nintendo CD, the the uh, the failed project between uh, Nintendo and Sony? What I think is it our... tastes like just desserts. <laughs> it eventually became the PlayStation, and it it pretty much cre uh, creamed Nintendo during the N64 era. And they kind of brought it on themselves by by dicking around Sony and sneaking around behind their back with Philips. Based on what I know, I mean, who will ever know the the full details? Yeah, I mean that, that's that's one of the most interesting stories that. Everybody gets wrong about that era. Uh, my understanding of that whole thing is that, uh, you know, Sega, not Sega, Nintendo and Sony started working together, obviously, with the Super Nintendo. Uh, the sound chip was, was provided by Sony, and uh, they were going to expand that relationship with a CD add-on, because that's just kind of what you did at the time. And uh, I forget why they... Why did they split from Sony ultimately? Well, oh, there was, My understanding was, is that Sony wanted to take a, a certain part of any game that was published for the Nintendo PlayStation, and Nintendo is very, very fond of its uh, licensing fees and its royalties. And um, basically, that, Nintendo signed a deal so that they didn't like, and they didn't realize it until after that you know they didn't have full control like they want. So they. Uh, uh, I, from what I remember at the Consumer Electronics Show that year, Sony announced the PlayStation, which was a Super Nintendo CD add-on. And then the next day, like literally the next day, Sega and Philips announced the Philips Super Nintendo CD add-on and that they're no longer working with Sony. What's that? Ask for a demonstration. Ask for a demonstration. What does that even mean? Oh, <laughs> uh, oh! But yes, the the, yes. the Philips based uh, the Philips CD add-on was based on CDI, CDI technology, and we all know the CDI was awesome, and uh, mm -hmm. was was was. It brought us really great Zelda games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so for uh, for having to think of that question really fast, you also win a prize. 
Is this your and, final uh, yeah, prize? This is, this is time. We can't take any more questions. This is so. Jeremy Parrish's old copy of Marksman Shooting and Trap Shooting for the Master System with a handwritten label on the top of it written personally by Jeremy Parrish. Yeah. So, uh, so that uh, wraps it up for this panel episode. I have one Never. final housekeeping oh. thing, though. Uh, the guy who got Pac-Man 2, if you can come by tonight at 10, I'd appreciate that. I want to play it. <laughs> so yeah, we hope to see you tonight at 10 Thanks everyone for showing up And you over there I owe you five bucks For your question Yes, you